Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Calling all hairstylists and makeup artists. Would you like to have a strong wig knowledge? A solid foundation to build your wig styling skills on? Would you like to gain the respect of your cast colleagues and employers when it comes to wig work? And feel more confident in knowing how to handle, style, and apply wigs? Well, do we have a treat for you. Introducing Last Looks Workshops. Come down to Beverly Hills and join Jamie Lee and Rob Pickens in the Last Looks Workshops experience. Spaces are limited, so be sure not to dilly-dally. For more details, visit lastlooksworkshops.com. And now, our feature presentation. Today on the Last Looks podcast, I'm speaking with makeup and hair designer, Nadia Stacey. Nadia shares with us where she draws her inspiration from for her design work, what it was like winning a BAFTA for the film The Favourite, and how continuing your education as an artist is a must. Picture's up. Last Looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Nadia. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. It's great to have you here. <laughs> now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Nadia, and when she grew up, she wanted to be... A radio DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> she had it as well. Growing up, Nadia's still got this... <laughs> like, oh. I'd love to do that. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a pretty cool job. When you listen to like a great radio station with an awesome disc jockey and you're like, God, you just get to chat to an invisible audience and play music all day. This, I mean, can't, can't be bad. It's, yeah, that's my dream. Also, most of them do like two hour slots, don't they? So they go in for like two hours play music, drink tea, and then go home and have the rest of the day to do what they wish. I mean, it's perfect. (laughs) I know. I'm almost wondering now that you say that, do they have another job? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm talking, you'd have to be a really successful one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Another job on top of it. (laughs) I always wonder too how much control they have over what they can play. I did um I did some work experience once when I was at school at a radio station because that's what I thought I wanted to do and yeah um, and and they have like playlists so they have like an A B C so you know stuff that's really kind of um, big in the charts and then stuff that's not as much and so it is slightly controlled so I don't think you can go completely off piste I'd probably have to be one of those that's like two in the morning yeah that's what I always thought as well I was just like I just gotta be yeah two or three in the morning and then I can get away with whatever because who's listening exactly (laughs) that's awesome so at what point does that shift for you I mean you obviously went and did work experience so you were reasonably serious about it well you say that but the thing is I I didn't know what I wanted to do at all I I always wanted to do something kind of arts-based I've always been very arty into music and I you know I play a lot of musical instruments. So at one point I was thinking, oh, maybe I want to do something with that. Never, ever did I think about being a makeup artist. It's, and if you if you knew me, I'm, you know, I hardly ever wear makeup. I'm not, I'm very unlikely, I think, because a makeup artist. <laughs> <laughs> I just did every job imaginable when I left school, just sort of didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't train until I was 26, I think 27 to do mm-hmm. makeup. I basically met this woman who said to me, that there was they did these courses up at Yorkshire TV and then you trained with them and then you could go out on their shows as well their TV shows so you got kind of on set experience okay but it was a really small group and she said it's really hard to get on and you won't get on you you never get on the course and I thought right just because I'm a bit pig-headed I thought well I'm going to get on that course (laughs) 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 sort of and went for the course and then still felt like I was really unlikely because I saw what what everyone else was turning up like with you know four faces of makeup done perfectly Mm -hmm. and I was thinking 
oh no, I've made a mistake. And I got on the course. And then the first day, I, I honestly, within hours, I kind of thought, this is it. This is what I've been waiting to do because it was I'm a big film fan and it was a way to kind of merge all those loves and passions into one thing to kind of create characters for film and I didn't I guess I never really thought it was a job you know Mm. of course it is but I didn't I didn't really think that that was a that was a thing and you know I grew up in in the Midlands like towards the north of England and I you know from a not very kind of from quite humble background so there's no one in film and no one you know didn't feel like someone like me could make it yeah in those kind of areas so the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) I love how it's all kind of random. Oh totally random but I I generally feel like that's kind of my path. (laughs) 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 Tends tends to be yeah just was really random and then I you know, just loved that course. And then I, then I got the bug, really. And I just kind of went absolutely, I think because I was older as well, by the time I finished that course at 23, mm. like 8, 29, by the time I came out, yeah. I couldn't, I just thought I have to do this now. I don't, there isn't, I, you know, I can't keep kind of bumming around and doing different things. I need to concentrate on one thing. And so I just put everything I'd got into it. So how did you move on from the course? Like what was next after that? when we were on the course they said oh there's these two trainee positions at Emmerdale which is like a long running soap here mm-hmm. and um, you get like three year kind of work experience on this soap and everybody on the course had said oh Nadia will get one of those and then I wonder who's getting the other one so I kind of bought into that too I thought oh great if everyone thinks I'm going to get one of the places and I was looking at places to live near where it films and and then it came to the announcement and I didn't get it and I remember going home and just being absolutely devastated and kind of crying at my mum saying that's just such a waste of time what am I going to do now you know and Mm. I just didn't know and then I saw an advert in I think it's the stage newspaper they were looking for people at the National Theatre to work in the personnel office which obviously isn't anything to do with makeup but I thought if I could get myself to London because I lived in a very small kind of ex-mining village in the Midlands you know you're not getting a lot of films made there so I thought if I could move to London and maybe try there and so that's what I did I moved down to London and then I worked there in the day and then in the evening I worked at the Royal Opera House at the ballet dressing ballerinas and keep poking my head in the wig room and the makeup room and and then uh eventually at the national theater I went to see the woman who ran the wig department and I told her my story and why I was there and that I you know this wasn't actually what I wanted to do I wanted to work in hair and makeup and she let me go in at lunch times and kind of helped to wash the wigs and and looking back that was incredible like the fact that she did that for me was sort of yeah. amazing and then eventually she gave me a shot on one of the shows in the evening and from that I got a job at Mary Poppins in the West End awesome and so I started in theatre and it just kind of snowballed from there really and then kind of but I did work experience on absolutely everything I could get onto all the time I mean hope nobody's listening that'll get in trouble it's all right now but <laughs> I used to like pull pull sickies at the national to go and like do a day on something for work experience or anything I could do to kind of network and meet people so yeah that's that- awesome so that first course that you did was it um did they have hairstyling and stuff as well as makeup yeah so it was a media makeup course and so you learn all aspects of media makeup and then okay. in the evening you did uh your mvq in hairdressing so you did kind of all the kind of first levels in cutting and that kind of stuff uh, in the evening. So, yeah, it was a really good all-rounded course. I guess it was the, the closest thing to it was like the kind of ex-BBC training. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if they still do it because I think a lot of the courses now are kind of private and, you know, pretty expensive to go on. So if that had been the case for me back then, I just don't think I would be here because I don't think I'd have been able to afford to do it. Yeah, but luckily, good timing. Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how you look back on that woman getting you to come in at lunchtimes and, and wash wigs and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Yes, it was helping you, but can you imagine how much it was probably helping her as well? <laughs> yeah. I didn't look at that side of it. <laughs> Suddenly, Hang on a minute. Um, <laughs> I, I look back on it like kind of Mr. Miyagi and Danielson, like she used to like train me like for like karate kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she just used to I remember her making me dress this wig into like an Edwardian style and then she just shook it and all the 
pins fell out of it or the grips fell out of it. And she said, well, that's no use to anyone on stage, is it? And I'm like, oh, no. Let's start again. And so just really, watching it crumble in front of your eyes. Yeah. And being so cocky about it before, being like, da-da, with my wig. And then it just... <laughs> Lots of it. It was useless. Well, but, how's yeah. he going to learn, right? <laughs> exactly. It's great training. That's awesome. So, doing a lot of stage work, when did you start moving into more screen work? So, I took, uh, so when I was in the theatre, obviously, you're working in the evenings a lot. So, I had a lot of my days free and I did some work experience at what was the BBC wig store. I went and just helped work with them. And while I was there, the lady that ran at Philippa, she said to me, oh, there's a makeup designer coming in this afternoon. I think you should meet her. Anyway, this lady came in. I didn't know her at all. And she said, oh, I'm doing this film. And if you want to come along and do some work experience on it, you can. So I was like, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And it turned out to be Lisa Westcott, who was, she won the Oscar for Les Mis. She did Madness of King George. I mean, amazing work. I think she's like, the great for me she's like the greatest and she said to come out and do this work experience and it was on Miss Potter which was Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor a period piece and I I remember going at four o'clock in the morning on a night bus through London Mm. um, while everybody was coming out of clubs and I'm trying to find my way to where this set was and then turning up on the set and seeing all the horses and horse and carriages and you know the whole square had been dressed in kind of Edwardian style and I just remember standing there thinking oh my gosh I'm on a film set I can't you know and I was just incredibly lucky to be put in a crowd room with the most amazing people. That's You often find some of the most talented people are in those crowd rooms. Oh, yeah. And lots of them all together, you know. So And I just was suddenly kind of surrounded by this group of women that are just amazing. And they all started kind of using me, really. And, like, one of them offered me a trainee job on a tv show like a detective series and i think it was a really long running one as well months of it and um mm. so i kind of moved in to do that and then it just snowballed from there really and i just kind of kept working up the ranks going from like trainee then moved up to assistant and then you know through the years kind of just moved up to designer so i always say i was incredibly lucky but i'd really put myself in a lot of situations to to network I really made, you know, made sure I knew who people were and followed up any lead. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're in a crowd room like that and, you know, fresh meat kind of walks in, um, <laughs> you are just like, oh, let's see what this one can do. And when you're impressed, you're like, oh, you can come and help me on. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you did something to impress all those people for them to come and ask you to help them on their jobs, which is awesome. I think I was just super, super keen. You know, yeah. there was, you know, if they were on set and I didn't have anything to do, they would come back and their pin box would be sorted out. And, you know, I would have cleaned their places or cleaned their brushes. Or I always found myself a job. I always, I kind of made myself indispensable. That was really kind of important to do that. Because mm. I do remember being in those crowd rooms and thinking everything I've just learned in college has completely gone out of my head. I don't know what I'm doing anymore because it's very easy in a college environment when you're working on your friend mm. to then be in the crowd room when you're surrounded by the best of the best that you go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, but I must have, I think my kind of keenness must have taken over and, um, yeah, I did something right. Well, it would have shown, I'm sure. Yeah. I love that over there that you have that system. I mean, is that a, the, the trainee assistant kind of moving up the ladder so to speak is that something that is officially in place or is that just a way of working that everybody has adopted I think it's kind of officially in place I mean when when I get a team that's you know I'm crewing for something at the moment and it's trainee junior and on bigger films now you have like a trainee a junior experienced junior then an artist then supervisor you know so there's all kind of different different levels and I suppose that it's what's not official is when you move up. That's just kind of down to you or who you're working with to mm. to move you up, you know. But yeah, it is. But there's more kind of rungs on the ladder now than when I started. There wasn't. I don't think there was the kind of junior experience junior that mm. we get now. You know, I'm I'm very happy that I did that route and kind of mm. tried all those different areas going up because I think it gives you a good foundation. Oh. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. 
agree. We um, I went through the same thing in New Zealand. So, and I'm just so happy that that's the way it happened. Yeah. yeah. Being able to work under such experienced artists who can just show you the way and, you know, it's just, yeah, it's priceless. Yeah, yeah and I always say to people, my um, who's coming on as my experienced junior on this next film, she, I said to her, are you kind of, ready to move up because she's brilliant and she said no no I'm happy where I am at the moment I'm really happy mm. and I quite I said it's quite good if you get to a point where people are so impressed with you at that level that they're like no you've got to move up now because you're so good <laughs> so you've really kind of maxed out everything you can do at that level you know don't kind of run before you can walk because then you you're really kind of gathering lots and, and people will be really keen to help you at those levels as well so you know don't don't move up too quickly I think yeah I agree. What do people say? Run before you can walk. Yeah. Oh, Did you yeah, just say I've... that? <laughs> <laughs> or you just feel like you're, I'm sure some people get thrown into, well, they don't get thrown in. They get offered something and they take it and then they feel like they're absolutely drowning. Yeah. I mean, I think what's happening now is because it's so crazy busy here that um, I think lots of people are getting lots of opportunities that are above where they where they've been and I think that's going to work in two ways you're going to get some people that absolutely smash through and are just fantastic and other people yeah. that feel like they've taken on too much so it's like I don't know it's it's a risk and it might pay off but I for me I'm just glad that I I kind of covered all the bases I think yeah absolutely and coming up like that you must have had some some mentors throughout yeah. that time that just went above and beyond I suppose for you so I think I think Lisa was definitely one of them. Lisa Westcott was definitely someone that I really kind of looked. I mean, she retired about oh gosh, maybe about five years ago now, and she gave me her kit. Oh wow! And it was a full lockup of her kit with continuity Polaroids and you know every kind of wig I picked up. You'd look at the label and it'd be like Judy Dench or you know like some crazy. Just oh my gosh. it was like a sort of museum of. Um, of her makeups and I all her her first hairdressing scissors and they I, they're not usable but I've got them in my office because I just love that they I don't know I feel like I want some sort of magic through her into <laughs> by osmosis to go into me but um she definitely was someone uh, I just think she kind of instilled a um she, her kind of approach to it was that you know this isn't brain surgery you know we're not saving someone's life it's incredible you know we're incredibly lucky to to do what we do and the film or whatever the project you're working on is really important but it's we're not we're not saving anyone's life and I think that's actually quite a good thing I've kept with me oh it's a good thing to remember I think because the pressure kind of gets to people and they you know they'll kill themselves to (laughs) to make something work and it's just like whoa 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 it's crazy or going home in tears because you didn't get chance to go and do checks on the wig or you know and all those things that happen to us all the time and you know it's it's a lot and I think I think this industry the kind of assault at times on your physical and mental health is a lot so to kind of have that in mind that it's okay you know it's a film at the end of the day or you know tv show then yeah she definitely instilled that in me and I just and I love her work if I watch anything that she did there's a kind of realness to it there's hair out of place there's like you know wigs look a bit fuzzy or they look and I love it I just I really kind of hope that I've carried some of that through into what I do so she definitely was one and the and the women that work with her like she had um supervisors Julie Dartnell and Sarah Grisbo and, and all these kind of women that kind of worked within her team so just yeah they definitely kind of shaped that early part of my career and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go I think that's amazing I have to go back just for a little second because I had like a spike of anxiety when you said that she handed her entire kit over to you and I was like oh my god one day I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna have to let go of all of my stuff <laughs> believe me this has been this is worry in my head yeah (laughs) which is insane because I mean wow that's pretty amazing for her to just completely let that go even her first pair of scissors like I don't know if I could let those go that I don't know if that's silly of me or I know there's something quite kind of cathartic though if you do think that way isn't there I don't think I could I think I'd be like no I can't (laughs) but um you know but she was for years going 
oh, I'm doing this one and this is my last one, darling. This is, <laughs> this is the last one. And then, you know, it's just, she was doing that for ages. But um, yeah, she gave me gave me the whole lot. But I think she knew I would absolutely treasure it as well. And I, and I do and mm. I have, you know, I have all the books. Sometimes I open a book and it's got her name in the front of it and it's just like, oh gosh, I love it. It's, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even know who want all my t- I mean there's so much stuff in a storage unit that <laughs> I'd have to go on one of those shows you know and they like bid for the storage unit <laughs> like, oh no nothing in there we want <laughs> that's awesome well speaking of books too because I follow you on social media and have figured that you're quite the book collector like reference books and stuff like that which is amazing you've introduced me to some good ones and now is that your normal route for reference and inspiration I definitely think it's my first port of call I I have quite an extensive extensive book collection so yeah I did that thing on uh during lockdown where I put like a book on per day a reference per day and um which lots of people have said has cost them a fortune so it's very good worth it though my god <laughs> yeah that's definitely my first kind of port of call and I I love uh, street photography books because I think I think in and I love finding those books in charity shops that are like working men's social clubs in the 1970s or something. And you get someone that sat in there drinking a pint, still got their rollers in their hair. And I think, oh, that's amazing. There's such characters in there. Um, So I, I love that. And I watch lots of films, loads of films. So I look at what kind of other people are doing or what people have done in the past or um, music I'm really inspired by as well. I'm really into music and I like to think quite a big knowledge on that. So I, that definitely inspires me. And like, you know, not a better example of that than the Cruella, the future that was the Sex Pistols font across her face. And it was like... Yeah. I remembered the the front of the album and I was like, oh yeah, maybe I could do that. And so I love that that came from that it's you know you can be inspired from anywhere really so yeah it tends to be all that kind of stuff but I still I've going to when I did the favorite I went to visit all the palaces and that kind of thing I just think something might spark from somewhere that you you can add into your design absolutely now out of all your reference books do you have a couple of absolute favorites Oh, I think the Richard Corson book is like the Bible. I mean, I feel, I think it's, I pick it up on every single film I do and I always find something new in it that I can use and it's just incredible. So for anyone that hasn't got it, the Richard Corson book is amazing. It's really worth getting. What else do I love? I'm reading a book at the moment called Textures, which is the history of and art of black hair and that's really interesting. I'm really kind of learning a lot from that. But photography, I think, is a big thing. I love like Homer Sykes photography. I put one up the other night on Instagram and um, Vivian Meyer, her documentary and her her street photography books I love. So, yeah, so I'd be hard pushed to, to pick one, but I definitely go back to the Richard Corson. I love it. Now, you've got a pretty incredible filmography. So let's chat about some of the projects that you've done. Like what are a couple of faves and why? Ooh. I mean, hard to say. They all... <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it really really is hard to say you know because I look back on it and I feel super lucky what's on my resume and I I've, in the beginning I tried to choose I tried to be quite strategic about it so I didn't want to get kind of pigeonholed in period films or you know one particular area so I kind of wanted to make sure I ticked boxes so I made curveball choices every now and again, and and I love that about it as well. It's kind of I think my heart would be screaming out Tyrannosaur, which is the first film I designed, and it um it just changed everything for me. I was living in a flat in Shepherd's Bush, and I was absolutely broke. I was barely making the rent, and I um had just finished a job, and I'd been looking after the actor Paddy Considine, and I had a great time on the job, but it finished, and I'm sure like all of us have felt well, that's it. I'm never going to work again. What am I going to do? You know, I can't stay in London. I can't make the rent. And and then uh, he phoned and said, do you want to come and do my film? And I said, yeah, who's designing it? And he was like, you are, you know, (laughs) you are. He's exact words where you are, you plum. And I said, um, (laughs) I was like me. And he said, yeah, I think you can do it. I think you're ready to step up. It's my first film to direct. Mm -hmm. Come come and do it with me. And um, so I did. And it was, you know, I think we had about 500 pound in budget and no makeup, you know, like a room, no makeup bus, me plus a trainee. Yeah. Um, 
it was really kind of basic, but it was amazing. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And it's where I met Olivia Coleman and we're still really good friends to this day and and Paddy and we became like such a little family and, and they I think they really shaped where I kind of went after that, you know, what I did and was the first time I saw my name on a cinema screen when we went to Utah to Sundance and I went to the BAFTAs with it and it was just an amazing experience all around so that that holds a special place in my heart. I did a film called Pride which I loved because it was the first time that I'd done something that was about real people and the actual real people sat with me with their photograph albums showing me. Oh my god. Yeah, and they were like, oh, this is when my friend Julie permed my hair. And this is, you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And, and you know, I just felt like it was a real responsibility to tell these people's story properly. And it was about gays and lesbians in the 80s that were marching with the miners, with the miners' strike. And it was, you know, it was a really important story. It had taken 20 years to get this film off the ground. So you felt, you know, a real kind of sense of pride pardon the pun but to you know do it and um and to not make it it was also set in the 80s to not make it that kind of pastiche and a bit cliche you know to do it properly and yeah I mean having all their reference and being able to speak to them is like oh my god so it was amazing we went to cut somebody's hair um cut a fringe like went to do it well and she was like oh no no we would have just cut it herself so the actress just held it and cut a fringe herself and I was like great that's how it would have looked perfect okay yeah (laughs) well I mean it's those little things and being able to let go and actually let that happen too is yeah yeah it was a real it was a real kind of I always see it as like it's like there was a shift I was doing lots of like independent British films which I absolutely loved but then Pride was the big it was like a move up um there was big crowd scenes and stuff like that and then the favorite obviously was like incredible and kind of a game changer again there's been some, honestly, I've been really lucky. I sat on the set of The Father and watched Anthony Hopkins play the piano in between takes. You know, I've been, it's been, there's been some incredible films. So yeah, I could choose any of them and tell you a lovely story from all of them. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that you have such fond memories. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've been pretty lucky actually. People always go, who's the worst person you work with? And I wouldn't say anyway, but I, but I genuinely am like, I don't really have one. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So going back to with the favourite, now you guys won a BAFTA for that, right? Yeah. That's amazing. So how was that experience for you? It was just it was just absolutely kind of mind blowing because I was really not uh I, I mean on paper I really shouldn't have got the job in the first place. I think there was lots of more experienced people up for it. And so to even get it in the first place and then to do the job was just incredible. And then then when the kind of that sort of weird ball starts rolling around the awards season, mm. I was so naive to it all. I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way. And, it, you know, and then I was at work and uh, making someone up and someone said to me, you've got a BAFTA nomination. I was like, what? <laughs> you've got a BAFTA nomination. I was like, I can't believe this. And when we finished the call and I my dog was at work with me and I, I walked outside to to take the dog onto the grass outside hmm. I called my mum and I was like mum mum I've, I've got a BAFTA nomination and just at the same time I had to pick up dog poo and I remember thinking this is such a leveller like to keep your feet <laughs> off the ground <laughs> you know, like, oh my don't let this get away from you <laughs> um, but it was I love it it was amazing. We just went for it. That when my me and my partner went, and we just spent the whole weekend just going that like, whatever happens, just kind of drink this in because it's so mm-hmm. much, you know, it's so great. And then everybody was saying Vice was going to win, which won the Oscar that year. So I put like my bag on my lap. I had like the BAFTA program. I had everything on my lap, and I was sat somewhere pretty awkward as well, like to be able to get out. Mm. When they said my name, when they said the favourite, I was just like, what? What? (laughs) So I was like throwing everything off my lap, trying to get out, get to the stage, all the time thinking, don't fall over, don't fall over, don't fall over. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. 
Yeah. The pressure, the pressure of not falling over and making a complete dick of yourself. <laughs> honestly, and like, I think if somebody had said to me right there and then, when you get up there, what's your name? I wouldn't have known. I, I just remember <laughs> looking down and seeing Prince William in front of me and thinking, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> so I said something and um, then went backstage and they, uh, as soon as you go backstage, they hand you a glass of champagne. And they handed it to me. And my hand was going so much. The adrenaline must have just kicked in. Yeah. I had to take it off and take it off and I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> so it was, but yeah, it was pretty, you know, pretty amazing. The whole, the whole kind of, that whole award season was really fun. And like the fact that it won lots of other things that we all celebrated together was just, it was great. Really good. Oh, that's cool. So after having that happen, what kind of effect do you feel it had on your career? Um, Did I've, you notice the shift? I've, re- I've thought about this a lot and I, do, I, I guess the answer is I don't, I don't know because, mm. you know, things were happening and I was working and getting kind of, you know, good stuff, but I, I don't know. I mean, I won it on the Sunday and I know that there were more scripts at, in my agent's inbox on the Monday I know that. And I know that since then, if ever there's a press release for a film that I'm working on, you are part of that press release. You know, it's like BAFTA winning Natty Stacey. So I guess it's a kind of currency, you know. But the most important thing, I think, is what it's done for me personally, is that I'm really, really grateful to have it. And I'm like, I've got awards on my shelf and that they are precious to me. And I'm very, very lucky and grateful. But I think from a place of having them, it's easier to, to have them obviously and say this, but I just think people shouldn't get too caught up in it all because I do think it's kind of like putting an apple against an orange, you know, mm. it's like we're artists and how can you judge different people's art against other people's art, you know? And I, so I think it's all lovely and it's great to be recognized, but I think, yeah, not to get too kind of bogged down in it. Cause it, like I love bands that no one's ever heard of and it doesn't mean they're not as good musicians as someone that won a Grammy you know it's like I guess it's kind of made me appreciative but also not to get caught up in it too much just to keep my head on what I'm doing in terms of like the project and making the art and if that doesn't sound completely wanky um... no I don't think so because I, I feel like there's some some people out there that unfortunately kind of take the job that they think might get them an award oh I like I, do you know what I mean I know people I know people who've got like notification like alarms to when the notifications come out and I just think that is that way madness lies you know you like that's crazy yeah <laughs> I'm like I'm not gonna go and do a job that yeah I, I don't know there's so many other things on a list of why I would want to accept a job or go for a job well before any of that pops up. So yeah, can you imagine doing that job that's full of prosthetics and full of wigs and full of this and full of that? And you're like, this is it, this is it. And that just gets completely ignored and you're absolutely (laughs) knackered. And you're like, oh my God, could have been at home. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So I just think it's, yeah, I think it's, I I think it's given me the freedom Mm. to look at it in a different way and, you know, but you know, if someone wants to give me an Oscar, I'll happily have it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it. Yeah, I feel like quite kind of in a healthy place about it. And I, I, when you get to there as well, I think it gives you find so much more joy in what you're doing because you can just concentrate on the project. And yeah, you know, that's yeah, very true. Yeah, and remember why why you do it, and you don't do it for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like after Cruella, I don't think a day has gone by that I haven't had someone sent me a picture of them or their kids or somebody with one of the Cruella makeups on. And that is, that's what, for me, that's mind blowing. And that's like people taking something you did and recreating that. And that's awesome. So I find more joy in that, you know, than than awards, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. That's very cool. I love it. So having all of these fun exciting jobs that you've done that you've enjoyed for one reason or another what's been something that has been incredibly challenging whether it's an entire project or just a wig or a makeup in specific or a location that you shot in like what do you think back and just think god that was that was one of the hardest things I've done I mean some of those early kind of independent films I remember hailstones hitting my face and being on top of like a 
some hills in Yorkshire and thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of those memories. But um, I think the job I've just finished, actually, I just got back from Budapest last weekend. And I think that will go down as one of the most challenging because for every reason, because I was away from my family for four months and I don't mm-hmm. I, I do not do jobs away. I don't choose to do jobs away. And um, But it was the same director as the favourite, Yorgos Lanthimos, and I'd always said whatever he was doing, I would do. And it was with Emma Stone again and kind of a no-brainer project. But every single day was a new big challenge. And being away and not having your full team around you, even though the Hungarians were fantastic, but not having your kind of shorthand go-to team and being able to just run to the wigs place that you know or, you know, it was really, and the hours and... uh, yeah, I think that not being able to come home and sort of decompress on an evening or a weekend really made a difference. I felt like I've been at work for four months and I haven't stopped. So yeah. that was really tough. And also I looked after Emma again, did her hair and makeup. So to design something like that and look after the lead is so hard. And it was the same on Cruella, you know, it was just, that's the way it worked out. And that's tough. There's not a minute to kind of just have you know some downtime and figure out what the next few days are it's just constantly you're on set all the time so it's yeah that's that's challenging absolutely yeah I feel you there I I understand definitely understand the the working away and I find it so funny that (laughs) artists kind of coming up and they're like oh I just I want to get jobs on location and it's just like yeah yeah that's that's great but if you're anything like me, you're going to get to a point where you're going to be like, you have to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then every other job is away and you're like, I just want to be home. <laughs> no, and it, you know, I never thought I'd get to a point where I'm like, I'm sick of hotels and I'm sick of room service. You know, normally you're, you're kind of like, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. Then you think, no, actually, this has stopped being exciting. I just, I just want to be at home and wheeling a suitcase out to your car is just oh, tedious after a while. So. <laughs> yeah yeah that sounded like really boohoo for me but you know no but it's hard I mean especially when you have you know like family at home and all that type of stuff and you just I don't know I don't know whether it's an age thing or a time thing or you just I don't know you just want to be I think I think lockdown did that as well a lot you know I think it was hard for me to be away after lockdown really kind Mm -hmm. of like obviously I was at home and I hadn't had that time at home for a long time. And then so to go away from it kind of really was really tough. More yeah. Tough. Yeah. I've done one job away after lockdown and I could not believe, and it wasn't even for that long. It was only like two months, but the amount that I missed my dogs was insane. Well, <laughs> this job that's just gone, the worst thing about it was my dog. I, I kept saying, <laughs> kept saying to my boyfriend, so I was like, yeah, but I can't tell him. I can tell you. I can FaceTime you. I can FaceTime the family. Yeah. Tell him when I'm coming home. So, no. <laughs> yeah, that was the hardest thing. And honestly, now I think I'd turn down a job if I couldn't. If I wait <laughs> If Biggie's at home, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's too funny. I want to back up a little bit to Cruella and were you doing her makeup and hair? Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a curious question about those wigs. Oh, yeah. Um, were they human? Yes, they were, but they're another massive challenge. So the problem is with that hair is that one thing that was really weird that lots of us didn't, I don't even think it will make any sense when I say, to have one side black and one side white, when you're trying to dress something and look at it, it looks off. Because you can't, it you your brain just doesn't, it doesn't look uniformed. It's really strange. And then the texture of the hair from the white to the black was completely different because the white is so bleached out mm. that it's really, really coarse, almost like yak hair. And then you've got this mm-hmm. hair on the other side, on the dark side, that's completely different. So if you put it in rollers, it would do completely different things on both sides. It was an absolute nightmare, honestly. <laughs> I completely understand. No, I I mean, I haven't gone through that, but now that you're saying it out loud, because even visually for, for the viewer, well, for me watching it, it does kind of mess with your eyes because it is the opposite ends of the spectrum on one. Yeah. On one head. So it does read differently on both sides, but it's on each side, but it's like 
my brain understood why because they're completely different colors like the density and of the dark and then all the yeah the lightness of course in the in the white it's yeah that must have been it was I never ever in all the prep and or you know I never even considered that for a second that that was going to be a thing no I wouldn't have either and it was the biggest (laughs) thing it was like hang on a second why is is this not looking like we think it's going to look it was a it was a real challenge yeah it was yeah it was tough. I think the first thing that would have come to my mind in prep would have been like, how careful do I have to be when I wash this? Oh, honestly. thing <laughs> <laughs> you did with them. And some like sometimes if you used too much heat on the white side, you take it away and it suddenly looked yellow and you're like, oh my, no. <laughs> this is and we didn't have I think I had I think in the beginning and for the most part of it, we had two black and white wigs because they couldn't source the hair to get it, to make it. Nobody could source the white hair. So it, just, it was, yeah, it was a real, real challenge. You can you can hear it's creating some sort of PTSD. In <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> and then when lockdown happened, Disney contacted me and said, could you dress... Uh, I don't know when it was in the end, I think 30 wigs for franchise. So they send them out and put them in, I don't know, like Universal Studios or wherever, you know, around the world. So Mm. I was in my garden during lockdown dressing, I think about 30 different Cruella wigs. So I felt like I never got away from them. I was just (laughs) with them for a long time. (laughs) That's so funny. I feel like there are certain things that you walk away from on a job and you're like oh glad I don't have to do that again (laughs) and then it follows you somehow (laughs) I'm gonna make another one I'm like she dyes her hair that would be fun wouldn't it oh that's too funny oh my goodness so was that film too like what what film that you've done do you feel had your biggest like largest scale with background that one for sure I think there was I think there was about 6,000 extras and we had, but also every time you saw them, it was a completely different thing. You'd walk in that crowd room and see like a Viking, like Vikings walking around for the Viking ball. And then you'd see women dressed as Cruella somewhere else. And then over somewhere else, you'd see 18th century wigs. And then you'd see somebody with 70s hairstyle. So it was, it wasn't like, oh, this is, huge amount of extras but they're all roughly the same kind of thing it was completely Mm. different every day like different it was almost like you know 10 films in one so it was huge I mean thank goodness Julia Vernon who is she runs a lot of big crowds she is honestly she's just incredible a real kind of unsung hero she's I could not have done it without her every time she showed me the fittings pictures I was just like perfect yeah great 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 so she really did do a lot of my work for me but yeah that would I think that was the biggest in terms of crowd for sure so when you start a job like that and you know that the numbers are going to be like that are you just like I thinking I have to hire somebody who can wrangle this I mean that's number one but do you leave it to them to tackle it how they normally run crowd or do you like to have some type of input into how it's run I don't have any real input massively into they they tend to run stuff past me but I don't really have much input into how they want to run it in terms of the logistics day to day they're Mm. so you know the people those kind of people that you ask this you know they run it like clockwork so they know exactly what they need and how to set it up and how many people they need and how many they need for fittings and that kind of thing so they're way better advised to do that than me so I just get involved in the kind of designing of it you know and make all the mood boards and do all the kind of designing of the looks but in terms of the logistics and the running they they run it that's awesome but I mean that's definitely how it's been for, for bigger stuff for sure yeah yeah absolutely of course it's so nice that you have those people that you can go to to um and just hand it over oh, and be like... yeah yeah I mean they're, they're the best it's kind of I'm doing another Disney film in the new year and Charmaine Fuller she's another crowd supervisor and she she's the same I just kind of go right you figure out what you need and I'll, I'll tell you mm. how ever, what how I'd like everyone to look and then you just you just run with it you know and they're 
yeah they're great so if i get anything with that kind of size crowd the first thing to do is go right can i get one of those two to come and do it with me um that's amazing yeah it's, it's almost like a you know apartment on its own really yeah i think so with those bigger bigger numbers or even just if the yeah. uh, hair and makeups are involved in some way of being you know big yeah i mean like with the, the one of the scenes in cruella there was like 200 cruella wigs women in 200 cruella wigs and that's like a whole kind of operation to deal with on your own so yeah they were they were great that's awesome so when you're putting your team together your main team what do you what do you look for in your artists I always think of it as like a kind of sports team, like a, a, a football team or something. You need people that cover all those bases. So, you know, you need you need your defense, you need your strikers, you need your... <laughs> so I, I, I need someone who's good hairdresser and good with color. People who are good with wigs, depending on what the film is, obviously. Good makeup artist, mm. a good organizer. I think you can just kind of put it all together to make the team. You sort of look for people who are strong where you're weak and vice versa. And then you've covered all your bases, you know. And once I've done the kind of basis of that, and I know that we're covered all round, then I I really just want good people around me. I think the hours that we do are, like I was saying before about like the kind of physical and mental health, I want people around Mm. me that are supportive and supporting each other and that are inspiring me as well. I, I love people that are really into what we're doing. I love it if they've come in and they've watched the other films that the director's done or the last film I just did, it's based on a book. And when one of the girls came out to Budapest, she was reading the book. And every time I saw her, she had the book. And so I, I, I'm very kind of inspired by that. I just want good people. I don't like gossips. I don't like, I don't want any dramas. Anytime I've had that on a team, I've just thought, oh, it's just not, just not for me. You know, I want people who want to be there, you know, <laughs> and who are very, yeah. you know, lucky, feel feel lucky to be there and just good eggs, I think. And if, you know, if they're really <laughs> yeah. talented, that's great. It's <laughs> a good way to put yeah. it. That's awesome. So when you are doing these longer shoots that are, you know, long days, a lot going on and you've got your cast I want to talk a little bit about skin routine so I mean skincare is obviously important because that's your canvas that you're that you're working on and I mean sometimes your actor is there almost as much as you are doing those same type of hours and they're on all day so how do you tackle looking after their skin well I think obviously what you're saying is the kind of um you know, it's the foundation to everything, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, you need a good skincare routine for a good makeup to sit on top of. So I kind of really got into it actually over lockdown. I started watching lots of IGTVs and dermatologists and to really kind of understand product and what people should be using. And I I found that really interesting because I and kind of got a really good skincare routine going myself, which is something I'd not really thought about a whole routine before I just kind of used what I used and what worked Mm. and I feel like getting that information has helped because I I know of at least a couple of actors that have come to me with pretty bad skin and I've turned that round not me exactly I've I've got a really good dermatologist that I send people to but I love the French pharmacy brands like La Roche-Posay and I, I think they're always good kind of safe products for people to use because it's they're so into their skincare it depends what the situation is and what we're using but I, I know that it's definitely changed the way that I approach things because I noticed how different I approached it on this last job which was obviously mm. post-lockdown and, and how much I'd got into it because I'd really got all the actors with an, a proper routine. You know, I'd got one of them using acids and one of them, you know, changed their moisturiser completely. And so it just depends what we're doing. But I I think it's more important to me now than it's ever been, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense for you to educate yourself on that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of weird that I hadn't thought about it before. But then I guess that's just, you know, like you're constantly educating yourself on everything, aren't you? And things are changing all the time and products are changing all the time. So I try and watch as much stuff as I can to continually learn learn about products or techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something you encourage your team to do as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love when they kind of are doing courses and lots of people now do online courses as well. So try and encourage them to do that. We really want to do, um, there's a an Afro hair course by a guy called Kevin Fortune and he, we really want to do his course. And I actually really want to do a kind of bespoke one for the team for before the next job. I'd love it if we did that because I feel like it would be really lovely if it was our team you'd be in a very safe space to feel like you could mess up if you do and ask questions and not feel kind of worried about not knowing yeah I think it's really important and there's a real misconception as a designer as well that you should know how to do everything and the you know the thing oh of God. that is is <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time yeah I mean you know and a lot of the time you aren't you aren't as hands-on as the people in your team so you aren't trying new techniques and you aren't trying new things because you just don't have the time to do it if you're designing a huge job. So I think it's really important to keep continually kind of pushing your skills. And when I do have some time off at some point, that's what I would love to do. I'd love to do some more courses just to kind of up my game. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of rallying the troops too to kind of all go and do the same, the same course together. But that's awesome. Nice team building. I think it'd be really good. You'll feel in a safe space because I think most people would be, might, well, some people might be frightened to put their hand up and say, I don't understand that. So it's, you know, mm. if you were amongst kind of friends, it'd be easier to do. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, <laughs> I don't know if it's boring, but professional ethics. Just because oh. I feel everything, well, yeah, no, just just what are some professional ethics that kind of resonate strongly with you? I think it's just sometimes professionalism on set can kind of get a little bit lost. And I, I just love to know what people kind of, yeah. how, how they like to work and what's yeah. important to you. you as a head of department from your team. I think it kind of, like that complacency and lack of, uh, professionalism can happen quite quickly when because we're in this kind of fun creative space and you know mm. sometimes your actors will come in in the morning put music on and it's a really and it's fun and, and nice and I think if you're not careful that can I see it in trainees and juniors a lot it kind of happens very quickly and you have to kind of pull them back on that because you have to keep remembering where you are and that you are you are at work you know this is this mm. is work and um you know, I often say, like, if you were working in a bank, you wouldn't be behaving like that, you know. So I think the absolute basics for me, like timekeeping is an absolute, I'm just such a stickler for that. I don't see, unless there's, an, you know, a real issue. Things like timekeeping and just being polite and just kind of reading the room. And But I think that comes with choosing the people, like I was saying, that are want to be there and are, and are feeling lucky to be there then that that goes hand in hand with how they behave but it's hard it is it is one of the things that I find is kind of hard to keep on top of because you want to create a kind of fun safe space and then sometimes people take advantage of that and I, that's it kind of it's kind of sad when it happens and I am I, I do feel quite strongly about those things and, and you know that that team represent me as well and so I, I want it to be professional I keep saying it, but we are extremely lucky to do what we do. And so just for them to remember that. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, people do get comfortable and, as you say, complacent and you can kind of slip a little bit. So it's, yeah. um, I think that's a good quality in a head of department to be able to pull people back into reality of like, this is work. You're at work. This is a professional setting. Um, we can still have fun, but you have to behave a certain way. <laughs> and it comes more naturally to some yeah, people than others I think too so yeah absolutely and I think something that happened with me that I went a few years ago was that I you know made myself a, a company and so I, I often look at it as like I'm a company delivering my product I know it sounds incredibly boring but it's like I often think like I'm a business and I'm delivering something and delivering for the film so I want people working for my business that are want to be at the top of their game too so you need to turn up with those ethics and most of the time those the people you choose you can see it in them they have it but yeah it kind of you can see it slip sometimes in people yeah I mean you're human you know 
Yeah. Now, I'd love to know, coming up through through the years and working with all these different people, is there one piece of advice that has really stuck with you? I think it would have to be what Lisa said about like we're not, you know, this isn't brain surgery. I think I think mm. what she what she said to me just to kind of to keep that in my my head. I think that kind of goes with. I always think my mum was a care nurse, and so she worked in care homes for years and was administering drugs to people and was you know would hold their hands while they died and you know some really really hard stuff and I know as a trainee I was earning more in a week than she earned in a month and I've always kind of had that in my head when all these amazing things happen and you're you know dancing on the makeup truck with I don't know Mark Ruffalo um (laughs) who loves a dance (laughs) and a makeup truck um um that you have to remember that you know you have to kind of remember that we're we're in, incredibly lucky but it's this is this is a film and you have to do you can do your best but um yeah it's not a job like that you know it's not saving someone's life so I think it's good to have that kind of that thought with you yeah do you feel like that's something you pass on to your team yeah, I do. I'm quite, I think I'm quite vocal about that as well. I think my team that I have around me at the moment, and there's, they're kind of extended team because other people, you know, they get onto other things and you get them back. But my kind of, my team of people that, my core ones I would go to, they're all very like that, I would say. I feel like I've really kind of gathered some good good people around me and they're they're all very like that and I try and kind of instill that into them I think yeah I'm kind of quite vocal about stuff like that I've been thinking about that recently actually I feel like I've been quite I feel like I'm being quite vocal about lots of stuff like I keep I really want the kind of fairness in the industry for like hair and makeup departments and so I feel like I keep sort of putting my head above the parapet a little bit but my team seem to respond really well to it they're like no this is this is amazing like you keep you know because I have a platform to say things I feel like I should mm. yeah it's <laughs> awesome and I mean you don't want your team to walk around feeling like they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders either do you know what I mean it's just you want them to be able to go home at the end of their day and have a life and not be stressing about what happened that day or what they've got to do the next day or yeah I wanted to ask what one tool or product would you never want to be without Oh, anybody that knows me or has ever listened to anything I do will be like, we know exactly what she's going to say. Because I always say the same thing. <laughs> Aveda Fixer, a liquid gel by Aveda. I don't, I could not be without it. And every time I think I'm going to use another product, I go, mm, you know what we need? Confixer. <laughs> it's always the thing. So, yeah, that's that would be my product. What do you, you just use it for? For almost everything or what what how do you use it yeah I use it for almost everything I particularly use it on men so wet the hair and then put a little bit of confixer in and because it's like a liquid gel then you style it and mm. it's kind of in in the hair so you don't need to put like lots of product on top so I always just feel like it gives you that I guess it's like mousse basically it's like putting mousse in it just gives you that bit of oomph in the hair before you know so when you style it it's kind of already doing a bit of work for you but I just love it and I love the way it smells. But you know what? I think, I think it's come from Lisa. I think she introduced me to it. So maybe it's just like a sort of emotional crutch (laughs) that I've hung on to all these years. I can't let it go. (laughs) It's been on every job for sure. Yeah. I mean, when you find something that works and you like it, you hold on to it and pray that they don't stop making it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Because that happens all the time, doesn't it? You're like, no, this is so yeah. good. There was a, there was an anti shine that everybody loved. I can't remember which one it is now, but that disappeared. And every I remember people just going into like panic about it. What are we gonna do? So yeah, like <laughs> luckily, Aveda have not stopped making it. So yeah, that's my that's my product. That's my product of choice. I love it. And who would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh, that is. <laughs> That's difficult because you've had some amazing people on here and like the, the immediate ones that I think of straight away, you've had. That's good. The, the ones whose work I always kind of look at and think they're fantastic. Do you know what I think is amazing though is I think a lot of these designers who they're kind of a bit unsung really because they're the designers that do, they kind of come up doing those comedy sketch shows and the, the work in those is so huge with no no money and you never really get um 
you know, a lot of thanks for it. And there's a designer called Kate Benton. She actually runs Pam, the makeup store here. Mm-hmm. And um, so everybody would, everybody knows her here. Um, I just think her work's incredible. She did a, they did a version of the Christmas Carol for the BBC last Christmas. I thought it was some of the best hair and makeup I'd seen on TV in a long time. And, and I just, I was kind of blown away by it. So I, and I, I just think she's had a very varied career and also runs a, a huge, the store is where we all go for everything, I think. So she'd be really interesting. And similarly, there's a lady called Janet Horsfield that does lots of contemporary dramas, actually, TV contemporary dramas here. And she, I just always believe the characters. I always, I'm never taken away from it. I always find the most believable hair and makeup, and I, that's why I love her work too. So, yeah, two, they're two that I really like to watch their stuff. That's awesome. Nadia, thank you so much for joining me today. I've loved having you on the show. It's been great. Oh, you're so welcome. I've loved it. Thank you. It was really good to talk to you. You too. see more about our guests go to our instagram at the last looks podcast or our website the if you want to keep up with new episodes being released be sure to subscribe through apple podcasts spotify amazon google play youtube or any podcast streaming platform and remember if you're enjoying the show share it the Last Looks podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.